Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. My outreach to all of the international locations that might be represented time zones on this call. Welcome to our big book telephone workshop. My name is Herb, I'm an alcoholic. This call is being recorded. Please join me with the intent of having spiritual intervention, whatever that means to you, a willingness and intention to have an open mind and heart and the gift of receiving it beyond your willingness to and consciousness to even have it. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path and you for an open mind and a new experience with myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path, and especially you. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Well, at long last, we are crossing the dash. Step one. Admitted we were powerless over alcohol is in the book. We substitute all addictions there. And if you don't have an addiction, perhaps some area of irritation, some source of suffering, whatever it is. And you may not know it, but be open to the gift of consciousness. It may not be comfortable, that gift of consciousness an awareness of the source of your suffering, a new awareness of a new source. In terms of analogous to a body problem and a mind problem that we've talked about for weeks now. When I start, I cannot stop. And when I stop, I cannot stay stopped. And Bill is very clear in the big book, that was his intention. In step one, to give us that information about allergy and craving in the body and give us that information about obsession and delusion in the mind and even to give us a definition of insanity, that was all his intent in step one. I'm very convinced that that was the extent of his consciousness about step one in the formal structure of the big book, because on page 43, as we saw, he ends it. Step one, the discussion. An alcoholic 
at certain times will have no effect of mental defense against the first drink. We need God. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially that's what he says on, at the end of page 43. And then he starts page 44 to discuss step two. The chapter we agnostics. And he discusses the atheist as well in that first page. Well, we don't do that. I'm not going to do I've been sort of signaling to you, almost teasing you in a way from a marketing standpoint, it feels like, mm. that we're about to now explore the best kept secret in the rooms of 12-step fellowship. All of them, including AA, is my experience. And that is crossing over in step one, that dash that our life had become unmanageable and finding out what that means. And that's why it's part of step one. It wasn't the way the big book was structured. And therefore, as you've looked at the assignment on unmanageability, you saw that it bounces around page 44, page 45, page 52, page 60, 61, 62. But we're going to see the legitimacy of this take on the approach to step one by the time we're finished it. You may not see it as we're climbing the mountain. You'll see stuff. You'll see new stuff. Hopefully, you'll have new information. Hopefully, you'll have new experience. And once we get to the vista, the conclusion to unmanageability and that assignment, I think you'll look back over your shoulder out at the vista and you'll understand how Bill concludes it on page 62. In the same way he concluded page 43, the alcoholic will at certain times have no effective mental defense against the first drink. <clears throat> on page 62, I'm going to show you how he ends his discussion on unmanageability at the conclusion of that second full paragraph. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. Now we've concluded step one. Um, we're we're going to spend a lot of time tonight and next week, and the following week, unpacking the material in the big book, my knowledge and my experience with uh, step one, unmanageability. But I'm giving you the overview and the context, showing you the structure and its legitimacy of approaching the step one this way, unmanageability, Bill on page 43 concludes the first half of the first step concerning addiction. And now on page 62, he concludes the second half of the first step on unmanageability. He equates, and I'll show you how he equates it, unmanageability with the spiritual malady. Unmanageability 
with the cancer of the soul. Unmanageability as the bullseye, the source, the real source of the problem. Addiction, Bill is very clear in various parts of the big book. Bottles are a symbol, liquor is a symptom, or maybe it's the other way around, but be that as it may, there's two quotes at least in which he said, these are symptoms. Addiction is a symptom of a problem. And the spiritual malady is the problem. This, the Oxford group called it the cancer of the soul. Hmm. On page 64, it's not part of your assignment, but I'm moved to bring it to you as I'm talking to you now. As you know, I do things relatively spontaneously. On page 64 in that last paragraph, he's talking about resentment, but transcend the word resentment and think about the approach to step one. From it, resentment being a spiritual malady. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, hmm, very much like the first half of the first step. We have been spiritually sick. Please listen up. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. That's totally in integrity with how the book approaches step 10. After we finish step nine, Bill says on pages 84 and 85, we've entered the world of the spirit. We've been placed in a position of neutrality with regard to our addiction, but we're not cured. You might want to reread it. You've read it already in the context of step 10, but now in the context of unmanageability, the spiritual malady, you might want to reread it again. It's really dense anyway, and it's worth rereading many times and maybe even meditating on pages 84 and 85. We've entered the world of the spirit. We've been placed in a position of neutrality, but we're not cured. We have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Earlier, he said, we commence this way of living, referring to 10, 11, and 12, as we clean up the past, as we do step nine, we do steps 10, 11, and 12, our way of living, a daily reprieve based on our way of living, steps 10, 11, and 12. We're in a rocket ship, and it takes us into orbit around the light, steps one through nine, the three stages of the launch gets us into orbit around the light. I'm just using a metaphor that he began on page 25. Rocketed into the fourth dimension, the world of the spirit. And we stay in orbit around the light if we make these daily adjustments of 10 uh, inventory spot check. 11, as we get guidance to adjust our trajectory in orbit around the, because we will have a gravitational pull, the gravitational pull of our unmanageability, our spiritual malady, our cancer of the soul, and we're not cured. We have a daily reprieve. And even in step 11, we do inventory at night to catch what we didn't catch during the day in our step 10 spot check inventory. And then step 12 suggests that we're awake and we'll stay awake as long as we do two things, operate our life on principles 
and help other people. It, it's so organic. It's so simple. As he said on, on, on page 14, and we haven't seen that yet too, but I've introduced you to it at one time or another as we've talked about this, because it's a complete distillation of the 12-step pro program and the process and the promise on page 14 at the top. He says, simple but not easy. A price has to be paid. It means the destruction of self-centeredness. That's the spiritual malady. That's the unmanageability. That's the world that we're entering right now in our step work. Simple but not easy. A price has to be paid. It means the destruction of self-centeredness. Wow, that's not gentle. It means the destruction of self-centeredness. We must turn in all, I'm quoting, we must turn in all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. You see, that stems, that's steps two and three, establishing that there is light. That's our belief, that's our faith in step two. And making a commitment to turn in step three. Turn from what to what? From our self-centeredness to our God-centeredness. Yep, that's it in a nutshell. This is the path, this is the process, and this is the promise of a spiritual awakening. One more quote from areas that you haven't looked at yet, but you might want to look at them and see them in their own context because it reinforces every, I mean, this is all just coming to me right now as we're doing it. I didn't anticipate this. But on page 76, as he's beginning to discuss steps eight and nine, he said, remember, it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. Well, when did we agree to that? At the beginning of step three, you haven't seen that yet, but it's a question that you've been asked to ask yourself right from the beginning. Are you willing to go to any lengths? And what does that mean? And I pointed that out to you on page 58 the beginning introduction to step three, that we are willing to go to any length, uh, dash, paraphrasing, that we are willing to do the steps. That's the commitment of step three. A prayer to begin the turning, he says is a beginning, and the turning is implemented through the actions of four through nine. Nothing's going to happen if you just do step three. He says that as he introduces us to step four. And here on page 76, reinforcing our approach to step one. That's the whole point of my bringing this material in. Page 76 at the paragraph just before the final paragraph the last line of that paragraph, it says, remember, it was agreed at the beginning, we would go to any length for victory over alcohol. And in italics, he has, we would go to any length for victory over alcohol. The first half of the first step, pay attention. We would go to any length for victory over our addiction. But on page 79, he is Repeating the same phrase, willing to go to any length, it says in that first full paragraph, third line, 
reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any length to find a spiritual experience. Oh, that's the second half of the first step. We ask that we be given strength and direction, just like step 11 is phrased. At the end of step 11, praying for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out, we need to know better and then we can do better. And we know, and this is going to be the nature of unmanageability, that sometimes we know better. Sometimes we don't know better, but sometimes we actually know better and we don't do better. And as St. Paul said in the Christian scripture, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. He called it his, his thorn, his wound. This is the spiritual wound. Reminding ourselves on page 79 that we have decided to go to any length to find a spiritual experience. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. That's the final part of step 12, isn't it? Operating on principle. Always operating on principles. One of my mantras with the, the men I help. Find the principle and always take the high road. They say, well, do we always have to take the high road? I go, no, no, no. But there will be consequences to taking the low road. So you just have to pay attention. And are you willing to suffer the consequences of taking the low road? It's never failed me. Find out what the principle is and always take the high road. It's a pain in the butt. That's not in the big book. But in the final analysis, it keeps me in orbit around the light. Just to lighten it up a little bit, because that's all pretty heavy and pretty intense. <clears throat> I, came, uh, I heard somebody give a wonderful definition of unmanageability and uh, the nature of our addiction which is so applicable here to our beginning to take a look at unmanageability. An addict is quite capable of such feelings as affection, caring, and love. These feelings just do not involve anyone else. <laughs> oh my. Anyway, if, you, if you're not laughing, you may not have heard it. But anyway, uh, we'll come back to it, I'm sure. All right, so much for the warm-up. Now I'm going to look at page 44 and page 45. Then I'm going to look at page 52. These are the elements of the uh, beginning of the approach from the assignment to unmanageability. Next week, on Tuesday, we're going to take a look at... <clears throat> page 60 to 62. So I'm just going to unpack tonight those three pages, 44, 45, and 52. And then <clears throat> next week, we'll unpack pages 60, 61, and 62. I'll explain a little bit more about that later on and continue to do that next week also. And then the following week, I will have wanted you to have completed the will worksheet 
which you'll notice, well, I'll point that out in a minute. Um, and we'll have a discussion then about your experience with unmanageability. Page 44. Now, this is addressed to the agnostics because Bill is starting step two. Now, every time Bill starts a new section, and he's intending to go to step two, we're not going there. But we are starting a new section. We're going to look at the part of the material in step one after the dash on manageability. He always, when he starts a new section, pauses on the path and, and looks back over his shoulder at where have we been? That's what he does in this first paragraph. Listen to it. In the preceding chapters, the doctor's opinion, Bill Wilson's story, there is a solution, more about alcoholism, chapters one, two, and three, including the doctor's opinion. So I'm a big book literalist. That's why I'm making sure that we're all tracking what Bill is intending here. You have learned something of addiction, alcoholism and addiction. Wow, absolutely. I mean, you may have already known it. The doctor's opinion, the body, the allergy, the craving, and all the distinctions we made. Bill's commentary on the mind problem and the obsession and the delusion and insanity. But you have perhaps broader and deeper knowledge of it. And what I'm hoping for, especially that you've had an experience, not just the knowledge, but it, 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 it floated down to your heart and it changed you in some way to realize at a deeper level an experience of no choice. Some darkness maybe came from that. Some suffering may have come from that. Some fear may have come from that. Welcome gifts, quite frankly. Not that any of that will keep you sober, but it might be a motive like the carrot that draws you forward to continue with the same diligence, the application of these assignments and the participation in this work. That's the point. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic, the addict and the non-addict. Sure. He's gonna tell us here right now, a summary. I, I, I've given it to you in my own words, but here's Bill's words. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, all right, that's a problem with the mind. I can't stay stopped. Or notice he doesn't say and. So you don't have to have both of these components. That's pretty interesting for me because you don't have to have both of the signals, body and mind to be a qualified addict or an alcoholic. He says, or one or the other. If when drinking, if when using, if when engaged to cover all of our addictions, process and substance, if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, once I start, I cannot stop, you are probably an alcoholic. He's not even going to make it black and white here. He's always giving a little wiggle room there because he doesn't want to stand on the mountaintop and make predictions about you 
He wants to invite you to ask the questions that he's asked us to ask ourselves so that we come to our own conclusions from the inside, not from the outside. Knowledge and experiences that come from the outside will have little permanent effect. Knowledge and experiences that come from the inside will change us indelibly. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Well, that's a huge leap at this point because he is only talking about addiction, body and mind problem. And he's saying, and only God can fix that. So it may be that you've come to that conclusion through your experience of no choice previously or during this journey since January with us. But I'm going to expand that experience beyond Bill's anticipated structure by now taking you into an introduction to unmanageability, the spiritual malady. I'm going to skip the parts that are referring to the step two experience. We'll come back to that when we do step two, the distinction between atheist and agnostic, not relevant here for us. But in that paragraph, he says, to be doomed to an alcoholic death, an addict death, the deterioration and disintegration that we see all around us and we may have even experienced or to live on a spiritual basis are not easy alternatives to face. Fork in the road. He uses that image a lot. We're at the fork in the road. You can go to the right, the road really traveled by the majority of people and continue your suffering. Or you can go to the left. I'm arbitrarily using right and left. The, 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 the decision to choose a spiritual path, a path of recovery. That's the road less traveled. That really is the road less traveled. And it's the road less traveled successfully, which even is a fine tuning on the people that take the path. The statistics are not good about people who have an addiction. The, they're, not, they're not any much better for the people who come into a 12-step program. Only 10% of the people with an addiction come into a 12-step program. Think about that. If 10% of North America, and I'll have to stay with that because I know the numbers, the United States has 370 million people, half of whom are adults, let's just assume. <clears throat> So let's just assume for sake of this discussion, 150 million people are adults. 10% are addicts, practicing addicts right now in the United States. That's over 15 million people. Worldwide, AA has 2 million people. And it's the largest fellowship. So you can see that a very slim number of people, maybe 10%, come into the fellowship. But how many stay and get it? I'll be generous and say 50%. Bill in the big book in another place says 75%. 
This was when he published the big book in 1939. It was a wet finger in the wind estimate. There were no statistics, there were no surveys, there were no scientific evaluations. But as he eyeballed it, he thought maybe 75%, he says, of those who really tried stayed. Well, I don't believe that's the number today. I'll, I'll use a generous number, 50%. Stay and, and, and have long-term sobriety. The professionals use much different numbers, much lower numbers. They're just too discouraging to even think about. And we don't have to. We can take the high road again, be positive, because we're going to be the survivors. Because we're willing. Here you are. You're an exceptional group. Who signs up for a 50-week program? And if you're doing Monday and Tuesday, that's 100. Who does that? And with the assignments, it's kind of like, I'm going back to school. Yes, you are. Assignments and work and accountability and, yeah. Who does that? People with the energy either driven by a hot poker or invited by a wonderful vision. Those are the two ways that we'll do anything from suffering or out of love. To be doomed to an alcoholic death, to be doomed to an addict death, and the suffering that goes with it, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to have the suffering that will lead up to it. Or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. But it isn't so difficult. About half of our original fellowship were exactly of that type. He's referring to the atheist and the agnostic. At some of these, we tried to avoid the issue of hoping against hope. We were not true addicts. Oh, you're there. I know you are. Some lurking notion that if I get enough information, if I get the code, if I get the formula, and I break the formula, I'm going to be free and I'll just be normal. And I uh, guess we've forgotten what it says on page 30. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost self much deeper commitment of experience than step one itself. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were addicts. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or ever will be, that's a paraphrase, has to be smashed. Once a pickle, always a pickle. Hoping against hope, we were not a real addict. I'm going to get this thing and I'm going to keep this thing and I'm going to be normal. No, sorry. I promise you a spiritual awakening, but I do not promise you normal. After a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis or life or else. He doesn't tell us or else what, but he's already signaled to us that there's a fork in the road. And that death is at one of those options. Perhaps it is going to be that way with you. That you need to have a spiritual basis. 
if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome our addiction, I'm substituting addiction for the word alcoholism, but I'm reading directly and literally from the book and commenting on it. If a mere code of morals, what are we talking about? Hmm. Well, the first one that comes easily to mind is the Ten Commandments. That's a code of morals. All right. Hmm, okay, uh, the Buddhists have something similar. They have the, eight, uh, the Eightfold Path. They have the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths. Life is suffering. That's the first one. Suffering comes from attachment. That's the second one. The process of overcoming suffering is detachment. And the fourth noble truth is detachment is the implementation of the Eightfold Path. Sound familiar? Steps one, two, and three, Eightfold Path, steps four through nine. They don't measure up, they don't parallel up, but the dynamic underneath the underneath the underneath is absolutely the same. Those Eightfold Paths are living by principle. Code of morals teachings, religious systems, maybe just a code of humanism, the principles that psychologists talk about how to be happy in a decent human being without any reference to God. Code of morals. Morals being, look it up, it's not about immoral and moral. Moral comes from the Latin mores, meaning value or law. Moral here means values. But then he says a better philosophy of life. Okay, so that's about knowledge. Code of morals is about ethics and behavior. Philosophy of life is about knowledge. Oh, if I just know better. Oh, I'm going to go to self-help. I'm going to go to therapist. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to take this particular workshop. I'm going to take this particular uh, study course in uh, college or in my religious organization or some somebody's offering it in terms of self-help. I mean, every one of us has multiple books on a variety of self-help and we've read them and they didn't help. Well, they might have a little bit, but nothing like the big book process as you may already experience or by December, you will be in full agreement with me. And I have no doubt about that. If you stay here with us and you do the work, not completed the work, not doing the work perfectly or even diligently or even consistently. If you stay and do the work to the best of your ability, kind of awkwardly and feebly, you will have an experience. If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome our addiction, many of us would have recovered long ago. Amen. Page 45. But we have found that such codes and philosophies did not save us. I was in a monastery for seven years. I took it seriously. I left because I didn't find what I was looking for. And in fact, I was beginning to do non-monkish things. Read between the lines. We could wish to be moral having these values. I wanted to be a monk until I discovered I couldn't be behaviorally. 
We could wish to be philosophically comforted. I have a graduate education in philosophy, theology, and psychology, separate. And I never found what I was looking for. I got lots of information, wonderful stuff. It was just part of the exposure and experience that has allowed me to be, I believe, competent and effective in delivering this message. But it never saved me or helped me or allowed me to find what I was looking for. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I knew that I didn't have it. In fact, and here's the transition now, please pay attention. We could will these things with all our might. Bill has just introduced willpower. He hasn't talked much about willpower. Doctor, doctor's opinion didn't talk about it at all. He said, body and mind. Bill picked up the baton and talked more about the mind. Oh, of course, there are some references to will and willpower and making mistakes. But here, this is just a clear transition from my standpoint. We could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. Hello. Step one, unmanageability, a lack of willpower to make the proper choice. And now he's going to recap it. Our human resources, perhaps body and mind, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. My willpower has failed. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. And I'm free and abstinent in my addiction. Uh, six months, one year, one decade, two decades. And I'm behaving poorly. And I'm suffering as a result. And so are other people. That's the unmanageability. It has nothing to do with addiction. Lack of power is my dilemma. I have to find a power by which I can live. Notice he doesn't say by which I can deal effectively with my addiction. He is talking about unmanageability. He is talking about the spiritual malady. I have to find a power by which I could live and it had to be a power greater than myself. Now keep in mind, he is preparing us for step two but I'm not referencing step two. I'm staying with the focus on step one and our no choice and our powerlessness with regard to the use of our willpower. So I'll go to the next paragraph. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Well, I have to guess I better read that last sentence then above that. Where and how are we going to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. That couldn't be any clearer. This book is not about addiction. This book is about unmanageability. This book isn't about addiction. This book is about power and finding power. Its main object is to enable me to find, notice I'm putting my personal pronoun in there. I'm revising the big book text to make it personal for me. I suggest that you try that when you're reading the big book. Don't, don't use the we, don't use the pronouns or whatever they're called other than for yourself. Make it very personal. 
Its main object is to enable me to find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. Okay. Again, I'm a big book literalist and fundamentalist. I want to understand what does he say here? To enable me to find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. What's he referring to as my problem? Not my addiction. No. Look at the beginning of the paragraph above that. Lack of power is our problem. Lack of power is our dilemma. Lack of willpower is our dilemma. We do not have an effective power of choice. Certainly with regard to our addiction. We've seen that. We've experienced that. We understand that now. But Bill's now talking about unmanageability. He's now talking about the spiritual malady. He's now talking about willpower, not the mind, not the body. That function in us that gives us free will. But he's telling us we're not free. Now that's the underbelly conclusion of this. We are not free. Our will, free will, as we thought about it, is not free at all. Oh, boy. Let's go to page 52. This is how I was taken through this material. So that's why I'm taking you through this material. We're skipping all the parts about the wanderings through agnosticism and atheism and Bill's effort at illustrating and, exp and exposing us to a process that will bring us directly on page 53 to the critical question in step two. God is or God isn't. What is your choice? So it's interesting that he talks about not having a choice of willpower. And then two thirds of the way through the chapter about step two, he says, okay, now use your will. Well, you just spent a lot of time telling me I can't use my will effectively. And now you're asking me to do my will. Oh, I say when I think about it and I spend some time in prayer and writing and meditation on this. My will concerning my life and my addiction, my addiction and my unmanageability is not effective. But as a human being, I do have free will, not with regard to my addiction and not with regard to my life and managing it. I have free will, God or no God. That's what he's saying on page 53. That's the proper use of the will. He's describing on page 85 at the end of the 10th step. The proper use of the mind is to create a vision of God's will for us, meditation. And the proper use of the will is to align my will with my understanding of that reality. Powerful. Powerful internal integration that reveals what this process is all about and who we are as human beings. And so <clears throat> this man who took me through the work at 10 years of sobriety, my third time through the work, I'm not going to describe the various instructions or experiences tonight, but I will over time, 
so that you can see that this is a process. It took me 10 years to have a complete step one experience. Maybe because I'm bringing to you a aggregation of my knowledge and my experiences, it won't take you 10 years in this exposure to have that full experience. I'm hoping that you'll have at least an integrated experience with the three parts of the first step because of this approach to the first step. On page 52, that second full paragraph, I'm going to read it and then I'm going to comment on it and then I'm going to reread it. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems on manageability this same readiness to change my point of view. That's not subtle. That's the set-aside attitude. That's the, what we've encouraged you all to have converted to a set-aside prayer. A readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relations. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Dash was not the basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight. This is 1939. The talk of the science was that they wanted to go to moon, right? with the rocket. They had no rockets yet. They were still being invented. But there was lots of cartoons and lots of science speculation that it was all going to be happening. As we know, in retrospect, it did. But look at that key word there. And I asked you to look it up. Bedevilment. I lovingly refer to this paragraph as the bedevilment paragraph because of that word. And when I looked it up, my Webster's Dictionary, it had many definitions, but the one I really like is to be controlled as if by devils. You see, that gives real meaning to, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. I know better, but I don't do better. I seem to be a puppet on strings that are attached to something outside of me, circumstances and people. And circumstances and people seem to be pulling those strings. And I don't seem to have any management or control over my life. And that was my assessment at age 48, four years sober. And when I first began to do this work. And the spiritual awakening I had that time, that very first time four years sober, was agency. Meaning... I discovered that I was, I experienced that. I got a full dose of a knowledge and awareness and an insight that I'm 100% responsible for my thoughts and my feelings and my behavior and my life. 48 years old, four years sober. And then the second time I did the steps, that was reinforced. And then the third time I, at, at seven years of sobriety and then at 10 years of sobriety, that second half of the first step on manageability was revealed through this. Because he said, now take that paragraph, Herb, and in your book, mark it like I had given you instructions in the assignment. 
<clears throat> with the personal pronoun in present tense. Because you notice it says we had, meaning plural, and it's not personal, and it's past tense. So he wanted to make it real. He said, 10 years of sobriety, two spiritual awakenings. I want this to be right now, Herb, 1994. And so I followed that direction and it read like this. I have to ask myself, notice personal pronoun, present tense. I have to ask myself right now why I shouldn't apply to my human problems unmanageability, this same readiness to change my point of view. This is the man that introduced me to the set-aside attitude and the set-aside prayer, which I was incorporating in the process, which made all the difference, of course. I am having trouble with personal relationships. I was in a 25-plus year marriage, and I was uncomfortable. I can't control my emotional nature. I was still having anger and some fear and anxiety, some shadows, some character defects. I am a prey to misery and depression. No, that wasn't true at that time. I don't believe that's in my DNA or my cellular structure. I've never really uh, been a prey to misery and depression. I make other people miserable and depressed. But then, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a reformed narcissist, a recovered narcissist. Yeah, I don't hurt me, but I'll sure as hell hurt you. Not intentionally most of the time, but I just consider you collateral damage for me to get what I wanted. Mm, we'll look at that when we get to steps six and seven. I can't make a living. Well, I'm a professional with a career and lots of titles and lots of corporate ladder climbing successful experience and paid a lot of money and get a lot of accolades. And I have a local reputation and even a national reputation at that time in my business. So I said, well, that doesn't apply to me. But I took it into meditation because I something resonated. And as I was meditating on it, sort of chewing on this phrase, I can't make a living, how does that apply to me? And I got silent and this wee small voice said, Herb, you can't make a living that satisfies you. Bam. And the wee small voice got a little louder and said, because you're a bottomless pit. There's not enough money, power, prestige, pleasure. There's no satisfying you. Never enough is your mantra. All right. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> and I saw the application of that to me. Even though I had all of the financial security and financial success, it wasn't satisfying me. And probably that's why I was doing this work for the third time. I was still restless, irritable, and discontent. 
That's how the doctor puts it. I have a feeling of uselessness. That wasn't as much true. Um, I was sponsoring people. I was volunteering at different things. And so I, I kind of felt connected to society and usefulness. I am full of fear. That wasn't so true, as I've said. I, I'm not a fear-based person. I'm not an anger-based person. I'm a shame-based person. And so I was able to see in the six and seven and some work that I'll show you in some personality studies called the Enneagram, uh, I identified that I'm a heart-based, shame-based person, meaning I, uh, I, my, in, my primary instinct is dishonesty to hide, to camouflage. Low self-esteem would what the psychologist would say. I am unhappy. I had my moments, uh, mostly I'm a positive guy and I was reasonably happy and fairly content with my program and my career. I just was, my personal life wasn't what I really wanted it to be. So I'm, I'm saying that all of these don't have to apply 100%. It's on a scale of one to 10 for you, maybe. Each one of those phrases. And so just be honest with yourself. This isn't about achieving the depth of despair because your life is such a piece of crap. No, that's not the point here. This is about honesty. This is an inventory of how, what is the quality of your life? Oh, that's a good question. What is the quality of your life today? Not looking at addiction. I'm assuming that that's being managed reasonably well by your program and by yourself, uh, uh, your, your addiction. When I'm now focused on this unmanaged, it may not be, and that's clearly going to be an issue, but I'm focused on unmanageability right now and, and my experience with it. And then this last line, I can't seem to be of real help to other people. Well, I studied to be a Catholic priest, a missionary for God's sakes, that was all about helping people. I studied then to be a psychologist. I never became a psychologist. I never became a priest. But those were my inclinations. Uh, if I couldn't help you save your soul, I would at least help you heal your mind and your emotions through psychology. Those were my thoughts, a little delusional, but they were still my thoughts. And I did the self-help stuff to become a better person so that I would have better social relationships. And now I'm in AA and I'm sponsoring people. I've got a gift for talking about this program and my experiences with it up to that point. I'd had two very powerful spiritual awakenings. So people were attracted to me. And um, I, I, so I felt that I was being helped, but I said, okay, I'm gonna challenge this because of my experience with the, my, my work and the career the in meditation, I said, I'm going to take that into meditation. I can't seem to be of real help to other people. And I spent several days just allowing it to kind of like churn over, kind of like the washing machine or the grinder or the discernment process, whatever it is, chewing the gum until the juice is out of it. They call it in the Catholic tradition, they call it Lexio Divina comes from the Latin legere, meaning to read. 
and divina, of course, divine. So it's reading in the presence of the divine in order to get a message. Pretty similar to what the Oxford group talks about in meditation, listening to get direction. And that's what I was doing with these phrases. I can't seem to be of real help to other people. Wow, I, I mean, I have this awareness that I'm actually remarkably useful. And then the wee small voice got louder and clearer and it said, Herb, you don't really want to help people. You don't really care about people. You want the recognition of being helpful, not necessarily actually being helpful. And at that time, I was, in fact, exploring in therapy my uh, personality character disorder of narcissism, which had been mitigated by this process. And um, that's, it correlated. The narcissist is the set, not only the center of his world, the narcissist is the center of the world. You could look at the personality definition of character disorder as well as the narcissistic personality disorder in the way of life document. There are nine characteristics in steps six and seven in that area. If you're interested in looking at that. When I was describing this process to my therapist, he just smiled and he uh, got up from his uh, uh, chair, went over to his uh, desk, uh, his uh, shelf, and took up uh, the DSM off of the shelf, opened it up, took a page out, went over to the copy machine, made a copy of it, and then gave it to me. And it's the nine characteristics of narcissism. He said, read that. He said, the only thing missing from the DSM psychiatry guide manual is your picture. Oh, thank you very much. And I'm paying for this. Anyway, it was very helpful, quite frankly, because I see that it was codified and described. They, they nailed it. And that he made the comment, it's irremediable by, by therapy and by medication. It cannot be fixed. And I said, well, how bad am I? And he said, on a scale of one to 10, you're a seven and a half. And we send tens to prison. And a few years later, I asked him because we were beginning to do some work together. So do you remember that conversation? What's your assessment today on a scale of one to 10? I was a seven and a half. What's it look like today? He says, you're probably a two and a half. You never heal a hundred percent, but because of the program and the spiritual life that you're committed to and living, all right, your, that personality disorder has been healed substantially. And that's a professional's opinion. Um, it's felt right to me, and that's why I mentioned it to you. Not because I'm trying to impress you with anything other than the effectiveness of this process and this program, especially these steps. The rest of that paragraph is not that relevant. So next week, we're going to take a look at page 60. Not to review step three, which is in fact what that chapter five is all about there. 
we're going to begin with that last paragraph on page 60. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. You see, this is about unmanageability. And we're going to take a look at page 61 and 62 to understand the exact nature of unmanageability. I have just given from the big book on page 52, the behavioral description. What does it look like? How does a unmanageability look like from a behavioral standpoint? This is what it is. These, this, this, uh, this discussion here, this exploration on page 52, that second paragraph, that's the behavioral description. But pages 60 to 62 identifies for us what the exact nature of it is. It goes from the feet to the soul. And it tells us what unmanageability is. And as I said, that second paragraph at the end concludes the assignment in the same way that we concluded the first half of the first step. on page 62 with regard to unmanageability, neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We don't have the power of choice to manage our will. On my own power, my will will always choose me. It's an instinct, it's wired into us. It's the way we're made biologically, psychologically, sociologically, at all levels of our brain functioning as a survival mechanism. All of my instincts are geared to take care of me. Now, when we have addiction, it puts that dysfunction on steroids, of course. And that's why Bill in that section, and we'll look at it, he says, the addict is a extreme example of self-will run riot. Well, what he has in his mind, I believe, is that human beings are examples of self-will run riot. But addicts are an extreme example probably because of the addiction. My experience, my understanding, I'm looking forward to hearing your comments, your uh, knowledge, your interpretation, perhaps your definitions. I had a whole bunch of definitions up there for you to uh, take a look at and hopefully do some work with in your dictionary. Um, and I'm interested now in your feedback on the material 44, 45, and 52. My question is the link between the addiction, mm -hmm. the physical addiction mm -hmm. to substance or to process and unmanageability. Yeah. Like, so are we, am I, un, is my life unmanageable because I'm powerless over food? No. 
okay it's not a cause and effect then it, it, and that's why the dash is there it doesn't say admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our life is unmanageable okay. it is a dash so it's a totally different thought at least my interpretation is there's no connection oh absolutely if you're engaged in your addiction your life is going to be unmanageable that's that's a given but what about the person who is six months abstinent a year abstinent a decade abstinent how come they relapse mm. Mm. so do you, okay so relapse are due to unmanageability then well i'm i don't want to say it that yeah. That simply, there's right. many reasons for relapse, but Bill says we're not cured. Right. Not right. cured of what in step 10? Mm -hmm. Not cured of our unmanageability, of our selfishness and self-centeredness. You don't, you don't have the whole picture yet. I mean, you do because you've been through the work before. But the, in, our, in our workshop, we've only looked at the behavioral aspect of unmanageability we haven't looked at the underneath and bill speculates there's no secret selfishness self-centeredness is the root so that's the unmanageability that's the nature of it and um, so the direct answer to your question is if i'm in my addiction of course my life's unmanageable but if I'm abstinent, my life's unmanageable because of my will, not because of anything else. It's a standalone malady. Bill calls it the spiritual malady. That's what was so great about the insight. It's kind of like I'm 10 years sober. Addiction's not a not even hasn't been relevant for 10 years. I mean, literally hasn't been an issue for 10 years. But I could still relate in technicolor to those um, bedevilments. Yeah. Does that help? Yes, absolutely. It yeah, so it's a great question to clarify right from the beginning of what we're talking about. Just that, um, that notion that you gave on page, uh, I forget, it's like page 60, where it's uh, God is or God isn't. And that's what the 60, uh, 53, right? That's the real purpose of what free will is and how before you know, before you come to that conclusion, it's really, you're, you're, you're thinking about free will of like, oh, well, I could buy a Porsche or I could get a Lexus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, you know, it really made me reflect tonight in the sense that um, I feel like I identify the same with you as far as like, I've always wanted to help other people and be spiritual for the recognition of <laughs> well and i mean you know, we, we have mixed motives so don't be too hard on yourself yeah yeah i was just about to say i'm not going to be entirely hard on myself it's it definitely is a mixed motive but you know i'm a teacher too and I, I was reflecting well if i didn't get a salary i probably wouldn't be doing this for free right right and you know it's like um i love to go in and you know brag about how many sponsees i have what i'm doing with them in a meeting and you know it's just like you know it, it becomes sort of a spiritual bragging at some point and i might like you said i might be a little hard on myself here but it's just like in that area you're not being hard enough <laughs> okay <laughs> but it's it's like 
it, it all comes back to that self-centeredness and the, you know that yeah. willingness yeah. to give to give it over and i'm starting to really see you know before yeah. i'm really starting to see like wow i really haven't given over my will mm-hmm. yes that's one of the wows that's one of the insights that's one of the experiences that i pray everybody have yeah mm-hmm. yeah to give yourself a hundred percent over and to really do things for other people simply for the act of doing things for other people you know that's what my sponsor tries to instill in me and i and i see it in his behavior but i don't really see it in my behavior it, it's the ideal and it's something that we work we work toward sober it was like i was 19 right and uh i was just oh my god i'm powerless over alcohol my life's unmanageable (laughs) you know but like well into you know many years of sobriety later right i know it's not quite it's not that simple right it's fucking pervasive yeah pervasive is a great word that's correct oh fuck but what really you know, it's just, you know, and I still try all these different forms of self delusion. Like, I think I can eat like a normal person, or I think I can spend money like a normal person, or I think I can flirt like a normal person, or I think, you know, and I'm married, you know, or I think I can- Or manage, manage my children, or manage my wife, or manage my husband, or manage my boss, or manage my environment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I know I'm bodily and mentally different from other people, but I tend to like test those boundaries. And when you said, it's like, we always have to take the fucking higher road. Yeah. We're sober. We're sober or abstinent or, or, or at the very least, least, we want to be on the spiritual path. What does that mean? Oh, Mm -hmm. that means I live according to principles. Mm I don't, and I still, of the time. yeah, I still want to lie. I still want to be sneaky. I still want to, you know, do my fucking weird shit. Welcome to, it manifests. Welcome to the human race. You'll hear me say yeah. it over and over and over again. So that was like, that's the fight still, you know, with being a human being. That's right. I said, I'm supposed to react to life as a goddess or something. And I'm certainly not. I am certainly not. I try hard. Uh, sometimes a moment at a time. Yeah. But I'll still be an asshole sometimes. Have not... you improved over? Oh, for, fu- yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. There you I, and really, I was, I was great for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's when I had kids mm-hmm. that I got all fucked up. Well, there you go. Yeah, darn those kids. Fuck. <laughs> Love you guys. Thanks. Thank you very much. Something struck me earlier when you had said, uh, you know, you guys are here. And if you come Monday and Tuesday and, you, you know, this, that, the other, um, you know, who does that? Who does that? And um, it, it's something that I've been, I guess, what, what I've been loving out of recovery in general, but working with my, my sponsor is really a wisdom woman. Got super lucky against my own will, um, landing with her and, and, and thinking in the way that you present things in these workshops is, is such a gift. And, and, and like you said, that, that invitation, I'm very glad I heard, cause it helps me to look at my own, my life 
and, and ask important questions, right? Um, so like, who does that? Well, I've been thinking so much lately about, I'm always working for free. I'm always working for free. I've got all these demands. So I have to finish off the clock or I'll get in trouble for the overtime. And the, and I'm thinking, who does that? Well, I do, damn it, because I work for free for seven hours a day. Why not three more for me, right? Or for for God, God willing that I'm, or, you know, God forbid I might be able to help someone else. And it, it ties in that bedevilment paragraph the first time I understood it, because that was for a while I was just, I was only reading the big book so, so long as I needed to till I found the proof that I was not an alcoholic. And then thank you very much and carry on your way, sir. Um, but when I heard it presented that the way that you said it, and, and I had to maybe at first, every sentence had to be that way, right? Like we were having trouble with personal relationships, some personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures at times. We could, you know, Pray to misery. Right. No, 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 that's the way to approach it. And oh, by the way, I, I didn't mention this, but the will worksheet is merely taking the items from the bedevilment paragraph and putting it into questions for reflection uh, at the end of this assignment. So don't be surprised that it'll it'll look very like, oh, well, we've been here all for two weeks. Yeah, but that's correct. But now I'm asking you at toward the end of the assignment to put it all in writing. Well, I am surprised. I continue to be surprised. I prepare to be surprised. Um, I just had one quick last question, if I could. You said something in the beginning. Um, I think it was about our motivation comes from great suffering or great love. Great love. Cool more people respond to suffering than they do from great love. But eventually the conversion is that we're not driven by suffering any longer. We're driven by, we really have a deep existential desire to help people because we have experienced a solution at the deepest level and it mitigates suffering. And why would you keep that a secret? And when you talked about principle, when you talked about I, recently, I did something that um, I knew it wasn't, I knew better, and I chose clearly to not do better. Yeah. And now that you're mentioning it, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm feeling guilty, I guess, that's you know? That's because you're guilty. Yeah. 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 I mean, no, but it's progressive. That is a good experience. And that is a humiliation that eventually leads to humility. That's exactly right. What a gift that is that you have yeah. that awareness. Yeah. 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 So, so I want to I wanna say this because I knew better. I didn't do better. And I'm finding out there's more stuff for yeah. me. To there, find out about me. <laughs> that's right. So that's, buckle up. There's more. All right. Thanks very much. It was my ex-husband who brought me to a place to detox from some drugs, cocktail of drugs I was taking. I had no intention of stopping drinking because as I told you about a month ago, I did not just really, <laughs> I haven't really thought I was an alcoholic. I mean, I thought the mind and anyway, 
I got all that. But what what I, I had, I, I was given grace by God because I'll never forget. It was like the second day I was at this, you know, rehab and in a, in, a, in a mental hospital. And I remember sitting on a couch and saying, I can get off of that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that hamster wheel. I mean, and then the power of God's grace that, you know, like you say, I, I can't see what, well, I don't know what I don't know. I don't see what I can't see. All those years of sobriety, that's what carried me. Yes. Not thinking I was an alcoholic, but knowing my life was unmanageable and I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that keeps me consistent with the spiritual practice of 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis today, because I know 37 years of sobriety and powerful spiritual revolutions in my life, um, that today I could drink if, in fact, I'm not in a protected shield in a relationship with power. I know. Me too. I Me know. Too. And I'll, I would be the last one to recognize that the signs are there. That's why I hold myself accountable to a few people to invite them to say, hey, you, you know, you're getting a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, whatever the words are. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you were talking about the, uh, I just want to hear you again talk about um so the proper use of the will is to align my will with God's will. Is that the right way to say it? Yeah. And, um, okay, two questions. One is, I've heard you talk in the past that, that God's will is basically reality. That's, is that what? That's how I equate it, yes. That's a, a really interesting experience. I, I, that's, it's like just what is, is, and just align my will with what is, right? Bam. Uh, Bam, you got it. So easy. But it would sure take a lot of uh, angst out of my life. It um, takes a lot of the complication out, doesn't it? I can't. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, I do have a question, though. Um, uh, well, uh, this will be revealed with more work, I see. But proper use of, if the proper use of my will is to align my will with God's will, why is it that I find it hard to use my will to do the work of program it doesn't it seems like that would be god's will that we study and we do everything you're a human being and and you would have to check out what it is you believe and what your motives are because there may be something amiss and by the end of the fourth step you will answer that question okay okay oh that's great I think that was all the questions. All right. Oh, uh, oh no, I got one more thing. Yeah. Do you mind? Okay. No, please, please. I love I love how you talked about the rocket ship that goes into orbit around the light. And so then we change we get destruction from self-centeredness. And then so we become God-centered. Is that the translation? Um that's that that's half of it because I see it as okay. and I'm so glad you wait, wait. It's a great question. My image is a coin. When we turn from self-centeredness, we turn to other-centeredness with two aspects. Other with a capital O, God as I don't understand it, step 11. Others with a small O, the community of humanity in service. A coin having two sides, that's the spiritual life. 
And that is in daily life, not just in program. Like it's not being of service to a sponsee. It's like wherever we are. One of one of the old crusty people in the program said, Herb, there's only two sides to the program, the spiritual side and the outside. The outside all, where we were. It's the all spiritual. Being where we suffered. No, the outside is nothing. Oh, oh, that's all there is. That's, that's all what, there is. is Everything. Are so, we a human being seeking to be a spiritual experience or are we a human being seeking, to, are we a spiritual being seeking to be a human? And my answer is yes. That's the two oh. sides. That's the two sides. Yeah. And so anyway, there's more to come in steps two and three. Okay, very nice. I, I so appreciate it. And I want to say that this enriches my ability to work with my sponsee who, who's, yeah. who's struggling. And everything you say and I write down, I'm actually just giving to her and it's really helping. So thank you. That's the way you express the gratitude for the gift that you're being given as you pass it on to other people. Yeah. Yeah. This is multi-level marketing at its best. <laughs> okay, super. Thanks. Thank you so much. Want to get outside the self-centeredness? Yes, you do. And at the same, and at, yes. mm -hmm. and at the same time, I know that I am powerless over the effects of alcoholism and how it's affected my life. I am my life is unmanageable as a result of being raised in that. And well, or, or or maybe it's not. I'm going to challenge you to challenge yourself. Maybe it's innately unmanageable. That's the nature of the human nature. Because addiction is certainly the one of the major contributors to the development of our personalities. But only one out of 10 or five out of 10, there's a, only a percentage of human beings that ha have uh, addiction and or are affected by addiction. What's the other five out of 10? What's their description of their problem of spiritual malady? That's the unmanageability. So Without the addiction and without any impact of addiction, human nature, I believe, is flawed in this self-centeredness. I can hear that. I can definitely hear that. And I challenge, okay, so if it, you're talking about percentage, okay, it's not the rest of the world who, who was no, raised. No, I'm not talking about anything from a statistical standpoint. I'm trying to help you see that what we're talking about is unmanageability, completely unhooked from any, any influence of addiction. That's an interesting perspective to try to consider. I mean, like, I know that in society, there are people that are raised with a lot of praise, raised with a lot of love, raised, and they, for some reason, in my perspective, don't seem to have these problems of prone to, misery. Really? Are you watching much news on the television? <laughs> you know, did you watch the series The Crown? No. <laughs> it's, it's pretty powerful. It, first of all, it's like a documentary. I'm pretty close. But you, you see the dysfunction. There's no addiction necessarily involved. But you see the human nature dysfunction because of unmanageability. That's my whole thesis here that Bill could say, and that's where he, he, he was able to say it, our way of living may have its advantages for all, 
because right. unmanageability is the human condition regardless of addiction. That's my whole premise here. Yeah. I can hear that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because it's, it's bringing more, I hope, more clarity to people concerning the focus that I have uh, as I'm interpreting this knowledge and experience from the big book on unmanageability. It stands alone. It stands, you know, it stands completely not tethered at all to any addiction. You know, as I quest for acceptance on a regular basis, I quest for acceptance. And there are times where I just find myself laid out like the weight of except, you know, like this is reality. And then I find myself like, I need to take a nap. It's too heavy. To, <laughs> it's too heavy <laughs> well, to that's taking care of yourself. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. I, I enjoyed today's workshop. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you um, helped have a discourse that really, really focused in a way that we hadn't the, the entire time on the nature of unmanageability. Now, as we look at pages 60 to 62, it's just going to blow you away as we really focus on it. I'll, I'll unpack every word phrase uh, in that material. It is you know, so powerful. So where I wanted to address, though, was how intellectualism, as I'm trying to say, you know, I don't, what I get is whatever God gives me. You know, and, and yes, it is a daily renewal, but I do find myself going, and I do not have a photographic memory, and I do not retain that well. Whatever wisdom comes is exactly yes. what my higher power yes. has for me. Yes. And I claim amnesia on a regular basis. Well, I claim that'll give you a sense of uh, contentment and comfort, and it'll help you, I hope, focus on experience because the, the experience doesn't take memory. It doesn't take memorization. It doesn't take knowledge. Experience will change you. I find that, for one, I, I, I'm completely shocked that, yeah, I, I concur with the other woman said about kids. I am blown away that, I mean, I have to keep my distance from my oldest son. And it, on a superficial level, it's great, but the underlying subconscious stuff that goes on in, inside me is like, his life is none of my business. Yeah, well, you're having a new experience um, and the work that you're doing is going to, uh, it's going to give you connections to each of the programs that you're in. For instance, the, one of my friends says, the fourth step is the step one in writing. Yeah. Where you really see your powerlessness. And I, I thought that was a fabulous insight. And it, and it sounds like that's what you're experiencing. Yeah. I, the last time I, I did the fourth step in last August, I did a fourth step. And I did, I did the, check, the checklist one. Yeah. <laughs> It was rewarding. It didn't give it. I mean, right. it worked. Hey, it worked. I got abstinent. I was yeah. struck abstinent. I was shocked. Well, but, it, it's but, great that you're having an experience with what we're doing here and connected with your own experience with what you're doing elsewhere so that it's an organic thing for you. Thank you. It's mostly yeah. connecting with people. It's about connecting with people. I couldn't yeah. be 
infinite or clean and sober without people yeah. because you know where i really believe in wherever two or more you gather in my name there i'll be and yeah. that be the truth of the language of the heart so yeah. thank, thank you very much again thank you very much everybody for showing up and vulnerable and courage and the sharing please join me in the serenity prayer god Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thanks, everybody.